My name is George Boyd, and I serve as a pastor here at the Rock Community Church. It's my privilege to welcome each and every one of you here this afternoon on behalf of the family. Thank you for coming. I trust and pray that our time together will be a meaningful experience as we reflect on the life of John Doe. As we come together today, we are comforted by one of those unavoidable, difficult realities of life. The scriptures speak of this. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth, the span of my years as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Your life is like the morning fog. It is here for a little while, then it's gone. You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will have, we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. No one can live forever. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. To live is to die. Death is one of those unavoidable realities of life. Folks, if I'm asked to officiate at your funeral service, that's exactly how we will begin. But instead of using John Doe, I'll use your name. And if not me, then someone else will be called to officiate at your funeral service. Because death is one of those unavoidable realities of life. You see, to live is to die. A number of years ago, I picked up a little book titled Preparation for Death, Prayers and Consolations for the Final Journey. It was a small paperback written by a Roman Catholic theologian back in the 1700s. And one statement that he made caught my attention. The most important thing we can do in this life is to prepare for our death. We need to prepare for our death. Why? Because death is not the end. Our death is not the end of the story. In John chapter 5, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 18 of John chapter 5. Last week we focused on verses 16 to 24, where we noticed that Jesus did not deny their charge to be making himself equal with God. Neither did he debate them. But instead, according to verse 19, Therefore, Jesus answered 
and was saying to them. Initially, what he said was he disclosed in his own words what making himself equal with God, how that was displayed in his relationship with his father. And you will notice that Jesus' testimony here also coincides and supports the Apostle John's premise for this whole book. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God dressed in human flesh, fully man and fully God. But Jesus does not stop there. In fact, his answer continues all the way to the end of the chapters, all the way down through to the end of verse 47. These are all words from the mouth of Jesus. But today we want to limit our focus to verses 25 to 30. Here we discover how making himself equal with God is displayed in his relationship with death. Last week, it was his relationship with his father. This week, it is his relationship with death, and not his death, but our death. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I'd invite you to stand with me if you're able for the reading from God's word, beginning at verse 18 of John chapter 5. Beginning at verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds 
to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. Father, we are told that in the beginning you formed man of dust from the ground and you breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You not only give us life, but you sustain our lives day by day. The words of the Apostle Paul, it is you, it is in you that we live and move and have our being. Thank you for life. Forgive us for taking our lives for granted, for living as as if we're independent, self-sufficient, and in complete control of our own destinies. Thank you for your word that reminds us of the truth and confronts us with the realities of life. And specifically, for the life and death reminder that we are considering this morning. Use these words from the Apostle John's life and ministry of Jesus to help us prepare for the the day of our death. And not just for the day of our death, but to prepare us to live in light of that reality. To live lives that please you and and count for all eternity. By your power and for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Death is not the end. It's not. Jesus, being equal with God, makes resurrection from spiritual death a possibility. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The spiritually dead who hear the voice of the Son of God will live because of what the Father has given to the Son. Truly, truly, I say to you, is the introduction of a solemn affirmation. So what Jesus is saying is that what I am about to say is absolutely true. You can stake your life on this. This is reality. Look back at verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing in of himself. That is absolutely true. Look down at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
These are sobering expressions of reality that must not be dismissed or taken lightly. I'm sure you've heard speakers say, if you've heard nothing else this morning, hear this. Hear communicators say that? That's the weight of the words here that Jesus is using. If you hear nothing else, Hear this. The hour is coming and now is. That's where the title for this morning's message comes from. Passing from death to life, now and not yet. The hour is coming promises a future fulfillment. But that little two words, now is, suggests at least a partial fulfillment, at the very least. It is now and not yet. We get a taste now, a sample now, but the rest of the cake will come out once company arrives. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God And those who hear will live. And that takes us back to verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. It seems to me that these verses 25 through 30 provide a commentary on what Jesus has said previously. It's a further explanation or clarification. So it's like he's saying, John is saying here, only, okay, here are some implications of my relationship with the Father, with my Father. Here's some implications. Now the main idea is obviously death and and. The meaning of death, or the main idea of that word death, it means separation. You and I understand and are well acquainted with physical death. In just the last two weeks, Cynthia and I have attended, participated in three different funerals. Our dear Alva, a friend, a great friend, in Oakville, Ontario, the church that we passed through there a number of years ago. And then just yesterday, with John and Deb, at the death of John's mom. Physical death, it's no stranger to us. And this is an oversimplification, I, I get that. But we, as human beings, really consist of two parts. There is the visible, physical part, our our bodies. And then there is the non-physical part, our soul or our spirit. Physical death occurs when the body and the spirit are separated. John chapter 19 verse 30 reports Jesus' death by crucifixion with these words. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
He died when his spirit left his physical body. That's what it means to die physically. But when we come to the scriptures, we discover that they speak of death on on two different levels or in two different spheres. There is physical death, but there is also a spiritual death. Physical death occurs when our spirit leaves our physical body. Spiritual death occurs when our spirit is separated from God. And so we can be very much alive physically, yet dead spiritually. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 reads, For the wages of sin is death. And in this context, it's talking about both. Both physical death and spiritual death. But my point is that sin separates us from God and leaves us spiritually dead. And Romans chapter 3 verse 23 informs us that we have all sinned. In fact, the scriptures indicate that all of us are are born sinners. As a result of Adam and Eve's act of disobedience way back at the very beginning. The psalmist understood this when he wrote, Surely I was sinful at my birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 51 verse 5. And so we don't become sinners. We are born spiritually dead. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. And yet we can be dead physically and still very much alive spiritually. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. So for those who are spiritually dead, who hear the voice of God, live. Physical death then becomes a passage, a threshold to be crossed from this life into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is why believers do not grieve as do the rest with no hope. First Corinthians chapter, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. Listen to Jesus as he offers words of comfort to Martha after the death of her brother Lazarus. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies." And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Clearly, that is not referring to a physical death. Because eventually, we will all die physically. So how is this crossing over from spiritual death to life possible? It's possible because of what the Father has given to the Son. Notice verse 27. 
verse 26, first of all. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. So the Father has given the Son the same life in himself. Which means that Jesus, like the Father, has life resident within him. Remember the Jews, they would have no problem with God having that kind of life in himself. But Jesus claimed that the Father had given him the same kind of life in himself. That would be problematic. Once again, they would interpret that as Jesus claiming to make himself equal with God. But unlike humanity, who was reliant on God to breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, Jesus was presenting himself as a source of life. Remember the Apostle John's opening words to the book, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That life in himself enables Jesus to offer life to those who hear the voice of the Son of God. Or according to verse 24 again, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Later, the Apostle John would write these words in his first epistle. And this is a testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And eternal life is always referring to both a now and not yet. It is referring to both a quality of life and a quantity of life. Life both now and forever. When you hear his voice, you can choose to ignore him. You can put him on hold. You can ridicule him. You can spit on him. You can curse him. You can even crucify him. Or you can choose to believe him. Believe who he claimed to be. Believe what the scriptures say he did. And believe what he promised. He will do what he promised he will do. When we believe him for all that he is, we are raised from being spiritually dead to new life in Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are born again. 
according to that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, the the teacher of Israel, back in John chapter 3. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 reads, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. All this is made possible because of the Father has granted that the same life-giving power to his Son. That's how that last phrase is translated in the New Living Translation, verse 26. The Father has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. Secondly, you'll notice the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment, verse 27. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Look back at verse 22. For even the Father judge, for even, not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. In Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Peter is preaching his, the gospel for the very first time to a, an audience of Gentiles. And in that message, he makes this statement. And he, that is God, ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And that would be Jesus. Now notice the reason why the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment. Because he is the Son of Man. Some have seen this reference as pointing back to Daniel chapter 7. In this chapter, Daniel is reporting a vision or a dream in which he sees this so-called Son of Man, later acknowledged by Jewish scholars and Christians alike as a prophecy of Israel's coming Messiah. But anyway, this Son of Man is given authority to rule the earth in this dream or vision of Daniel. And perhaps Jesus did have Daniel's vision in mind when he spoke these words. Or maybe it was just that Jesus was making an allusion to his incarnation, the fact that he was God dressed in human flesh. Certainly the fact that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1, or as John Piper would translate that, pitched his tent in our backyard, would help to qualify him as a just judge. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 comes to mind. For we do not have a high priest or, or a judge who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So verses 26 and 27 tell us why spiritually dead people who hear the voice of the Son of God can live. It's because 
of what the Father has given to the Son. He has given him life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. So that we can live. That is God's desire. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 makes it clear. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 affirms the same. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's love demands that eternal life be offered to all. All who are spiritually dead. John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 affirms it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God's offer of eternal life extends to the world. The language is all-inclusive. But but Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The offer, it's all-inclusive. But access is limited. Limited to those who will respond by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. The spiritually dead who hear the voice of the Son of God will live because of what the Father has given to the Son. Let me give you just one word to think about in light of all this. One word. Here. That's it. Here. For genuine believers, hear assurance. You have life. You have been born again. Memorize John chapter 5, verse 24. Commit it to memory. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. Memorize it. John chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus is speaking again. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Do you hear the assurance in his words? We have referred already to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know it, to be absolutely convinced, full of confidence, no doubt, to be absolutely convinced that we have eternal life.
Brothers and sisters, hear assurance. For unbelievers, hear alienation. Your depravity and your sin have separated you from God. You are spiritually dead. Your thinking has been infected so that the things of God will appear as foolishness to you. You cannot understand them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And rather than acknowledge God, you go about suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I beg you, I plead with you, as an ambassador for Christ, be reconciled to God. Death is not the end. It's not. Jesus, being equal with God, makes resurrection from spiritual death a possibility. And it makes resurrection from physical death inescapable. Notice verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The physical dead who hear the voice of the Son of God will be raised because of the justice of God. The dead who did good deeds will be raised to resurrection of life. The dead who committed evil deeds will be raised to a resurrection of judgment. And so, who is left? No one. Everyone is raised from the dead. There are no exceptions. C.S. Lewis is absolutely right when he wrote these words in his book titled The Weight of Glory. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about that for a moment. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Others have rightly said, there are only two things that are eternal in the face of this earth. God's word and people. People are eternal beings. Death is not the end. We will all experience a physical resurrection from the dead. It is not an option. It is inescapable. And why is that? Why this imposition? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 makes it clear. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. No one escapes. And notice there are only two alternatives here when speaking of 
resurrection from physical death. It's not like a menu down at Michael Dean's. To be honest with you, I have such a hard time making a choice there. Everything looks so good and it tastes good too. But here, we don't have to worry about that. When it comes to the resurrection, it's either a resurrection of life or a resurrection of judgment. It's one or the other. And once dead, the verdict is in. There is no second chance. There's no victory lapse. No makeovers. Death marks the end. Put your pencils down. Time's up. Once dead, we'll be resurrected to life or resurrected to judgment on the basis of how we lived our lives. By what we did while we were in the flesh prior to our death. So the choices that you and I are making yesterday, today, and tomorrow, they matter. And remember, there are only two resurrections. Resurrection of life or resurrection of judgment. Now, verse if, we, if verse 29 were the only verse we had to consider, we might be tempted to conclude that our resurrection will be determined solely on our works, on our deeds. But that is not what the scriptures teach. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 reads in the New Living Translation, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So let me be clear, and, and this is really important. There is nothing, absolutely nothing you and I can do to mend, restore this broken relationship that we have with God. Our sin has separated us from God. We are spiritually dead and we're facing a resurrection of judgment. And all our attempts to be good, look good, smell good, whatever, are like rags that we use to clean up our messes, shine our our tires on our vehicles. What do we do with filthy rags? We throw them away. They're worthless. Filthy rags are worthless. And so are good deeds when it comes to earning our salvation. So good deeds will never save us but good deeds are evidence that we have indeed been saved. That's a huge distinction that we need to remember and get in our head. By the way, that word deeds in the New American Standard Translation does not appear in the original. You notice it's in italics? That means that the translators have inserted it to help us to get the meaning of the verse. The original just says good. 
And so in the ESV translates that phrase, those who have done good. And you and I know who those people are. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. It is anyone who has heard his word and believes on him who sent Jesus. It is all those who have received him, who become children of God, have believed in his name. John chapter 1 verse 12. It is those who are believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And listen to what happens when we trust Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. He, that is God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you get that? My sin becomes his sin. His righteousness becomes my righteousness. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And because of Jesus' accomplishments, his righteousness, we have done good and will be raised to a resurrection of life. Folks, that's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. For the Christian, it is spelled D-O-N. E. For all other religions, all other, everything that man can think up, it's always spelled D-O. And those participating in those other religions are running around constantly trying to do, to meet the requirements, to fulfill the prerequisites, to somehow earn their salvation. For Christians... People who are accepting and receiving Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says it well. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. God's justice demands that a judgment be rendered on all who are physically dead. You don't escape the judgment with death. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. I just want to read through this passage of scripture. It just gives us a really clear picture. And Jesus is, is painting a picture for us here. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31. So I'll read this. I'll give you one more word and we'll wrap it up. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come and come to you. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? And he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. God's justice demands judgment. The physically dead who hear the voice of the Son of God will be raised from the dead because the justice of God. Let me leave you with just one word to think about. Fear. For genuine believers, it's fear not because you have absolutely nothing to fear. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 reads, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The psalmist understood this concept. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? All of our sins have been removed. Past present, and future. God looks at our lives and he sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness. We have nothing to fear. In fact, man's greatest enemy has been conquered. And Jesus overcame death, promising that we will do the same. And so in the meantime, as we live in a world that is full of troubles, hear the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not 
anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Fear not, my brothers and sisters in Christ, because we have nothing to fear. For unbelievers, it's fear all, because you have everything to fear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 presents your ultimate fear. Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And make no mistake, please don't make the mistake, hell is a very real place. The scriptures inform us that it is a place of eternal torment reserved for those who refuse to respond appropriately to God's demonstration of love for us. Unbeliever, may you live in fear. May you live in fear until you come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in his name, have eternal life. Death is not the end. It's not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is truth, a lamp to our feet, and may we not soon forget what we have heard this morning. Hear and fear. Hear and fear. May these two little words be used by your Spirit to enable each and every one of us to prepare for our death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for coming this morning, participating with with us. Let me close with this uh, benediction, and then we'll have a quick uh, business meeting following that. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week. Remember to be praying for Wayne and the Foster family and also for John and Deb and their family in these times of loss. God bless you.